According to the American Psychological Association, 84% of Americans say that the country has serious societal issues relating to stress that the country must address. Dora Torres says there's no reason we all need to be so stressed out. He works as an AFPA, Certified Holistic Nutritionist, Health Coach, and Stress Management Expert. He joined me this week to provide his expertise in the area of stress management, promote his new book, and talk about life in lockdown because of COVID and how He's continuing to thrive in his marriage as a father and so much more. I'm Kevin McShann. Let's have this conversation. you to the program and I'm excited to learn all about your fitness and entrepreneurial journey uh, this afternoon. Thanks so much for being here. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me. And just before we get uh, dive into today's uh, conversation, uh, March, if, uh, I don't know if you knew this, but it, it's International Women's History Month. So I'm curious to ask you about the impact that women have had in your life, buddy. You know, what's, what's interesting about that is um, I've come to experience something different with, with the women in my life and I've come to how I grew up and how I've interacted with different women in my life, my mom, my wife, my sister, and different women that I've, that I've met along the way. And I've come to really experientially understand the importance of the balance between feminine and masculine. And not just a man and a woman as far as physicality goes, but the qualities of masculine and the qualities of feminine and how each one of us has the qualities of feminine within us. We have a mom. We're half, we're half of our mom, half of our dad. No matter what, we have the half the masculine, half the feminine within us. And the feminine is a huge, is a huge aspect in terms of of receiving and, and emotions and, and, and being able to be comforting. And so um, the women in my life have taught me things about that, but it's, it's also a different experience to experience that um, individually, you know, the power of that. Absolutely. You know, I always tell people that without women, no, none of us would be here, right? So exactly. It's, it's exactly. Important. It's important to pay homage to them, absolutely. Mm -hmm. But let's uh, transition on to your day job. You said mm -hmm. that you help people eliminate stress and you uh, want to make sure that they do more than just manage it. So I'm wondering yes. if we could uh, dive into that a little bit this morning. For sure, for sure. So um, through, my, through my journey and through my personal exploration with this stuff, 
something didn't make sense when I was talking about stress. When I was learning about stress, when I was experiencing stress, right? There was something about the word managing stress that didn't make sense to me because we manage money, we manage people, we manage things, right? And to me, when something is managed, it means that it's always going to be there. It's always going to be there and we just have to figure out what to do with it, right? And stress after enough experiences in my life, I realized that managing is the wrong way to look at stress because if we, if we think about stress in terms of managing it, we're, we're just assuming it's always gonna be there. And then we don't even search to figure out how to completely eliminate it. And it can be, it doesn't have to exist within us. Stress does not have to exist. And so I've started to, with some of my own stuff, with some stuff that I've learned, I've started to definitely go down the road and helping people eliminate it as opposed to managing it because I don't want it to be there in people's life. I don't want them to have to figure out what to do with it their entire life. I, I want them to be able to eliminate it so they don't have to do anything with it. And that's, that's kind of the whole goal with the stress part. And tell me, what are some ways you help people manage their stress? But what are some easy ways we can all uh, take away from this conversation in order yeah. to uh, eliminate stress from mm -hmm. our lives? So there's a couple of things we have to understand stress in order to, to really get rid of stress, it, it has to happen in two ways. And the big problem with what we find with, with mainstream stress management information out there is, is 95% of that only deals with stress feelings in the body. Okay. So when we feel stress, almost everybody knows, or a lot of people know that the reason stress happens is because of the fight, flight, or freeze response, right? There's this response that happens in our body, adrenaline, cortisol, these chemicals come into our body because there's this, there's this perceived threat that our mind perceives this threat. And so it gets our body ready to fight, flight, run, do whatever is necessary to survive, right? But the reason, the actual reason we feel stressed, we feel it in our body is because there's chemicals in our system, right? And so the two ways you have to do this, if you really want to get rid of stress, is you have to allow the body to get the chemicals out or to rebalance your chemistry, okay? When your body rebalances its chemistry, then you actually feel better. You don't feel the feelings of stress. But on the other hand, on the other part of that, the most key important part is you cannot keep recreating stress. You have to get to the source of your stress and to be able to turn it off like a water faucet. Because if stress is always on full blast, it doesn't matter how many wonderful stress management techniques that you have available to you. It's like trying to block water from a, from a water hose that's just blasting you the entire time. Like you'll get exhausted trying to do that. So we have to turn it off, right? And so there's a, there's a lot of different ways to do that. But the most, the most powerful tool that we have, there's two really big powerful tools that we have right at our disposal that we can use right away. And one of them will have to do with, with the breath, okay? Because your breath is directly connected to how balanced you feel, okay? And so using your breath in a way, you'll notice that when people feel stressed or if you're chronically stressed, or even if you're nervous or excited or whatever, and you're feeling those feelings, you'll notice that your breath gets very shallow. You start breathing at the top of your lungs up here and you never get air down into the very bottom of your lungs, okay? And so the very bottom of your lungs is where the most oxygen is able to be diffused into the blood, which means when people are breathing up here in their chest, they're starving themselves of oxygen, which makes their body even more stressed because their body's lacking oxygen, okay? So learning breathing techniques, there's a few very simple breathing techniques that you can use to help balance your system. The other way 
that is, that is very important and it's very powerful is the use of your attention, okay? Your attention and what you put your focus and your attention on is what your mind grabs onto, is where your energy goes, okay? And so this goes into where stress is created in our mind, right? When stress happens in the system and when we start to feel it, the best tool I could give somebody to do is take their attention and put it on something physical in their body, okay? If you're feeling angry, you put that attention on what it feels like in your body to feel angry. Is it tingling? Is it muscle tightness? What does it feel like? And you put your attention there because when your attention is on something else, your attention is not on the thought process. And the thought process in your mind is what is creating more and more stress. Does that make sense? We got to take that attention and use that attention as a tool. It certainly does. And, and I can tell that you're a uh former teacher at heart, that sounded like a teacher answer for sure. Right? <laughs> Absolutely. And I know that your influence as an educator has mm -hmm. helped you sort of connect with the people that you work with. So can you mm -hmm. tell me about the impact that your former life has had on mm -hmm. your current one? For sure. So one of the biggest things that I've learned about being a teacher and, and I didn't know this all the way as, as I was a teacher and actually, cause I used to be an eighth grade science teacher and I was learning this along the way. But one of the things that I've really understood now in the last five years is that a great teacher, what they do is they don't, they don't just deliver information. A great teacher creates situations around people. Okay. And the, and when the situations are created, at some point, the individual is able to learn within themselves. Learning takes, takes place within the individual. There's no way you can just throw information at somebody and then say that they've learned it. Learning has to take place within the individual. So as, as somebody that has been a teacher and is able to communicate and speak, I'm able to tell stories and I'm able to give examples and I'm able to do a lot of different, set up a lot of different situations that cause people to question and, and, and try to figure out what's going on within themselves. And, and at some point, one of those questions or one of those scenarios or one of those examples clicks for them, and then it just makes complete sense. And so being able to do that in a variety of different ways um, is, is what's really helped me with that. Yeah, speaking to you, buddy, and all, also, also has come across to me that you're a great uh, communicator for the work that you do. And I'm Curious to also ask you, during this time of COVID, uh, I know before this started, you mentioned that you were married. So I'm wondering if you've learned uh, how uh, to strengthen your connection with your, your wife and those around you and how uh, your ability to communicate has helped you be a better family man. Mm -hmm. Um, this is not only with my wife, but, uh, we have a six-year-old son and he's, he's, he's at the age where he has a lot of opinions and he's, he's figuring out what's going on within his own life. And so he is able to communicate, but we see communication and it wasn't always like this in my life, but communication we see it's a tool and with any tool, tools have to be learned and tools have to be practiced in order to be, to be used effectively, right? Like it doesn't matter what the tool is. If you don't practice with it, if you don't use it on a regular basis, it's not worth anything. It does, it's not effective in what you're trying to do with it, right? And so even during this time and even before COVID, I've used communication. My wife and I both have used communication as, as 
as a way to um, almost a good example is, is almost like when the pressure builds within in somebody, right? When, when the pressure or the stress is building within, it's like a pressure pot, right? It's building within. We can use uh, communication as almost a device to turn down the pressure, to release some of that pressure manually, to turn it down when it comes. Because if we don't balance that pressure out within us, it explodes at some point. And then that's when people get hurt, people, you know, get, get sad and all kinds of things happen, right? And so we use that as a tool. But I think the most important part of using that as a tool is you have to create a loving and open environment. That's it. If, if there's not a, a loving and open environment within whoever you're communicating with, there's, there's not a back and forth. So it has to be open. It has to be loving. It has to be non-judgmental. It has to just it has to just be there and you have to create that right situation. And then I think communication starts to naturally flow because as human beings, we want to do that. We know intuitively that, that speaking and talking about things helps us. It makes us feel better. It's just the creating the situation that allows that to happen is what will help foster that. And I know for you and as a business model that you work in smaller groups and you've also uh, pivot, pivoted a little bit online just like everybody else during this time. But I'm curious to know uh, if you think there are any uh, tangible advantages to working with, with smaller groups of, of people at any one time. Mm -hmm. Um, both. It's just like anything. There's, there's, there's advantages and there's dis disadvantages. If you want to call it that there, um, the reason I started with, with the one-on-one -on -one and the small group is, is specifically coming from a teacher's background and knowing that as a teacher, if you can get students in small groups, three or four or one-on-one, -on -one, it's just more effective when it comes to helping them learn something. Right. And so what I've started to develop, though, is, is working with that, right? Working with, and, and my whole model is based on teaching. There's classes and there's different things based on teaching, right? And that's how I deliver the stuff. But um, I'm starting to develop and, and move also towards certain aspects of this. Um, what I'm trying to share can be delivered to larger people, which is why I'm starting to investigate and, and play around with podcasts and speaking at conferences and doing different things on larger scales for certain aspects, because there are certain aspects of stress and certain aspects of health and well-being and self-improvement that can be taught on a large scale. But then there's other aspects that need to be taught in, in smaller groups because you have to be able to um, create a certain environment with those people to have that, that teaching be as effective as it can be. Yeah, I tell you, the, uh, the value of human connection holds a lot of power, doesn't it? It does. It, it very much does. <laughs> In more ways than one, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to also ask you about parenting. You had mentioned mm -hmm. that you have a six-year-old uh, mm -hmm. son. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm curious to know, what have you learned about yourself uh, during par uh, parenting him, not only during COVID, but since mm -hmm. his birth? And mm -hmm. talk a little bit about raising uh, children in today's day and age. Oh my gosh, it's wonderful. This is what I realized. The biggest thing, the most powerful tool that I've realized about parenting is this, is, is well, there's a couple of them. One, that the child, your child is not yours. They're not, okay? They, they have come through you. 
They are with you for a period of time, but they are not yours to hold on to and to grab like a piece of property because at some point they're going to go. Whether or not they, they go when they're 18, whether or not they go before that, whether or not, who knows, but at some point they leave, right? They're, they're going from you. And so realizing that he's not mine and, and treating him as a person in that way and knowing that, that he's just coming through me is one aspect, okay? That, that brings some separation there. But the other aspect is this, and this is what I encourage all parents to, to play with is your children are a mirror. That's all. They are a mirror to you, Right. And everything that might be upsetting to you, if you get upset, if you get frustrated, if you get stressed, it's because that child is mirroring you. It's mirroring something within you that needs to be worked on. So instead of, this is what I've learned so much, and it's been such a huge, um, made such a huge impact in my life is that if I get upset about something, say he doesn't want to clean his room, say whatever it may be, right? If I get upset about something, um, I don't, I don't direct it at him because he's mirroring something that, that I have to now look within myself. What's going on within here that's causing that to be upset because I'm the one that's upset. You see what I'm saying? And so using that child as a mirror, and that doesn't mean we don't, we don't help each other and we don't do things and try to make everything the best we can for everybody around us. But if we can, if we can create this loving and joyful environment where these children can grow, right? And, and, and not be scared and not be, um, you know, pushed in ways that, that they don't need to be at such early ages, but then also use them as like, as a mirror when things happen or when conflicts happen and we can look within ourselves as opposed to trying to direct that energy towards them or somebody else, because the real change happens within ourselves, not within somebody else. Absolutely. And I'm, I've got one follow-up in, in mm -hmm. regards to that. Yeah. In terms of legacy and the legacy that you mm -hmm. want to yeah. exhibit for your kid where do you think that starts and and in in terms of going off your last answer giving them a, a sense of empowerment as well this is what i want and so this is what i want if we're talking about a legacy it's literally i want him or i want anybody else to just see me for who i am and not not look up to me not look down at me just see me as I am in that moment. And that's it. And that's good enough. Because if we can see people for who they are, if we can see people directly for who they are and not have preconceived notions about who they are and not have heightened expectations about what they should be, we can see them for who they are. And that's the power in human beings. That's the power in human beings is who they are, you know, at a deeper level and not who our minds expect them to be. Because when we start getting into that, when our minds start getting into the expectations and what you should do or what you could do, it's a mess. It's a complete mess. So we see through eyes exactly as we are. And we know that we're all the same in that way. And it's wonderful. And I know that uh, besides being a parent and doing your day job, you're also working on a new book. So mm -hmm. I, I'm curious to ask about the book. What, what's yeah. it about and how's that going for you? So the book is, is, is in the editing process. It should be finished here soon. And it is, um, it's called Awakening Your Taste. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a journey into the art of healthy eating. And, and the reason I talk about eating and healthy eating, if you want to call it that, is because this is all centered around, we can even have this big stress umbrella, right? And there's an aspect of stress that has to do with the physical body. 
and the physical body is directly um, created from the food that we eat, right? And so there's, there's a million different things about food and healthy eating and everything out there. And what I'm trying to get people to understand is this, is that our, our body, our own individual body knows what it needs, okay? Health and the feeling of health is, is subjective in nature. That means I can feel healthy and, and somebody else can feel healthy and it doesn't matter what, what we might look like on the outside. It's a feeling within each and every one of us, right? And so teaching people how to basically listen to their body, what things are their body trying to tell them how to listen to their body, how to understand the language that their body is using to talk to them each and every day to actually understand what types of foods that their body needs and not, not asking that person out there and that person over there and that person over there because none of those people actually know what your individual body needs. They might know in general what a human body needs, but each individual has and an individual unique situation going on in their body. That's why two different people, look at, look at, we can have this example, right? Everybody would say an apple is healthy, right? We'll qualify an apple as a healthy thing, right? Two different people can eat an apple and one person can have um, a wonderful interaction with it and it can do wonderful things in the body. And the other person can have um, reactions in the system where the body doesn't like the apple. Okay. And so each individual person has very unique situations going on and we will never know. You'll never know by asking outside people. So then we have to start listening to the body and that's what it's all about. And there's, there's recipes and there's different things in out there, but it's really starting to help people learn how to listen to their own body and what their body is saying, because that's where the answers are within yourself. And when we talk about listening to our body, I'm also mm -hmm. curious to ask you about uh, mm -hmm. the correlation between stress and getting a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. I know that sometimes I struggle with uh, sort of uh, um, putting down the laptop and, mm -hmm. and going to bed and always, mm -hmm. always keeping in the back of my mind that not everything has to be done at once. So I'm mm -hmm. curious to uh, get your, your uh, perspective on the correlation between sleep and eliminating stress. Yeah, for sure. And so this is, this is strictly um, as an experiential thing. This isn't, I'm, I'm not going to quote any science or anything out there. There's a lot of scientists that know a lot more than me as far as that part goes. But this is as an experience, this is, this is how it is. Stress is a form of rest right? Or I mean, excuse me, sleep is a form of rest. We go to sleep because it's a form of rest and our body is like a battery where when we run out of energy, we need rest, right? In the same way, in the same way that if we're running, if we're, if we're, if we're running a race, right? And we're sprinting, okay? If we stop sprinting and we start walking, that walk, that walking is a form of rest in comparison to our running, right? And so sleep is a form of a form of rest. And here's the interesting thing, at least in my experience about sleep, you can't control it. Sleep is a consequence of things. Sleep is a consequence. Sleep naturally happens as a consequence of what is going on within you and around you. And so it's, it's, if, if, if we could just directly control, okay, I'm going to type in, okay, I want to sleep eight hours perfectly, boom, type it in, boom, and it's done. Like that's like, if we could do that, people would have already be doing that. But most people, we can't do that. So what do you have to do? 
Sleep is very important because there's a lot of things that go on with the sleep, but we can't directly control sleep. So we have to control and work with the other things that are creating an environment for sleep. One of them has to do with what you eat. One of them has to do with your breathing. One of them has to do with what is going on within your mind within you know a half hour to 45 minutes before you're laying down to go to sleep. So there's different things in there. And sleep is very, very important because if you don't get sleep, you're obviously, your battery's already drained. And then that creates a whole bunch of stress and it creates situations like that. Um, but it, it's something that's interesting because we have to look at what is causing the, the, the sleep to not happen in the way we want it, as opposed to looking specifically at the sleep or trying harder. You can't try harder to, to get better sleep. You got you to gotta work with other things. And, and in your work as a nutritionist mm -hmm. and in the health field, I'm wondering if you have any uh, specific mottos or principles that you sort of live by during, during the work that you do. This is what I try to live by, I guess, if we want to call it that. There's a question that I ask myself all the time. Question that I and, I, and I started asking this a few years ago when some big shifts happened in my life. And I continue to ask this. And it's what helps guide me. It doesn't matter if it's in nutrition. It doesn't matter if it's in stress. It doesn't matter what it is. It, it guides in everything, right? And it is, how do I want to invest my time? It's not, what do I want to do with my time? Okay, it's not about the activity. And it's not, what do I want to do with the time that I have? Okay, it's how do I want to invest it? And the reason I say that is because when we talk about investments, we expect a return on our investment, right? If we invest money, we expect some kind of return on it, right? And so when I ask myself, how do I want to invest my time? I then ask myself, what's worth the return? What is a worthy return on my time? Because that's ultimately in this life what we are investing. That's the thing that's limited and we are investing our time. And so, as a, so instead of, you know, looking around and trying to figure out the things that I think I want to do, I ask myself, how do I want to invest my time and what's worth the investment? And that guides me. And that guides me towards action. That guides me towards inaction. Sometimes it's, it's meditating. Sometimes it's sitting. Sometimes it's breathing. Sometimes it's action for hours on end. It, it depends on the thing. But if I keep asking myself, how do I want to invest my time? What's worth my investment? Because the time is limited. The time is very limited. And if we ask ourselves that continuously every day, one thing that comes up is it puts our mortality right in front of us. And we realize that this isn't, this isn't going to last forever. And our time is very, very short in that way. And so we want to invest it in something that is worthwhile. And you talk about investing time. So I'm curious to ask you when you're not working or mm -hmm. you have 10 to 15 minutes to yourself, mm -hmm. how do you reconnect with your, yourself and sort of find your uh, moral center? For sure. Um, this is what I do. I'll do it in my, in my, if I have 10, 15 minutes, you know, if I'm waiting to pick my son up or whatever it may be, there's little times here and there. What I will do is I will, I will do kind of a watching activity where I close my eyes and I will watch just what's going on. I will watch my thoughts. I will watch what comes up in my mind and I'll pay attention to it and I'll see it and I'll see it go like clouds and I'll just watch what's going on. Right. And then what I'll do is this, as I'm watching it, I'll shift my attention to trying to, to, to put my attention on who's watching. What is there that is watching all this stuff? And what that does for me is one, it brings my breath down, calms my breath down. 
and it and it gets me to realize to really realize that everything that comes up in our mind okay all of these things that come up all the time they're fleeting and they go all the time and so trying to grab onto each each and every one of those that goes by we suck all of our energy out so i take 10 to 15 minutes and i just watch that and i just notice and i see that they're going they're up here and then they're gone they're up here and then they're gone and i try to find the thing that never leaves i try to find the watcher i try to find the one that is always watching and that brings me boom right back it's always important to have a little personal self-reflection mm -hmm. brings us all back to center for sure mm -hmm. but i'm curious to know if people want to get connected with you what's yeah. the best way they can do that so the best way is um my website it's called uh charya rising and it's spelled a little bit differently it's um it comes from uh, a sanskrit word and so it's actually c-a-r-y-a-r-i-s-i-n-g charya rising and Charya just means has to do with daily practices. And so charyarising.com is my main website. It's got some blog stuff. It's got some articles. It's got links to uh, my contact information. It's got my classes. It's got um, some free eBooks. It's got all kinds of stuff that you can find as far as stress, as far as healthy eating, as far as nutrition goes. Fantastic, but I really want to thank you for a few minutes taking my questions and for being here to... Uh dispense your expertise on health nutrition and everything in between really want to thank you for your time and for being here this afternoon it's most appreciated thank you i really appreciate your time